Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher bakarbanu mikol hamim, venatan lanu et torato. Baruch atah Adonai, noten haTorah. Amen. Baruch abah b'shem Adonai harakaman hu yezakenu limot hamashiach ulchayeh haolam haba. Amen. Well, I am super excited because this is the final podcast of 5779 for Shomer Man. So Rabbi Griffin, a.k.a. Captain Israel, on the on an Aliyah day, was talking about his podcast anniversary. Well, um, my podcast anniversary, not exactly sure when it is because, oh, actually, it's Parsha Mishpatim because I actually started not last year or the year before that, but the year before that. So, yes, I will be going into my fourth year of podcasting. This is kind of crazy. But anyway, it's been three years uh, so far, a little over three. I uh, started off with what's called the Parsha Dose. And, you know, like taking a shot, you know, like getting a dose of medicine kind of thing. What's your daily dosage of medicine? So, uh, yeah, daily dose of Parsha because I was seeing how... When you look at the Torah portions, there are certain ideas and concepts that immediately, if you remember uh, excerpts from the Gospels or Acts or from the letters of Shaul or the letters of Kepha or the letters of Yochanan, the letter of Yaakov or the letter of Yehuda, even Revelation, which is <coughs> Slika, which is actually a prophecy or a vision if you will, given to Yochanan as he was exiled. So a lot of Hiskalut uh, is what Revelation translates from. Uh, that's how we get Revelation. It's from the word Gale, which is to reveal. So if you've uh, read the Yadid Nefesh for the third meal song of Shabbat, Yedi nefesh avarakaman. Okay, that song from Moshav. Check him out. But anyway, uh, there's a part in there where it says, Higale na ufros chavibi alai. And it's all talking about may you be revealed and spread, spread over your beloved. And so, you know, the gale, which is from, uh, which is the word to reveal, is actually the root of hisgalut, which is revelation, which is why revelation takes on its English form, which is all about revealing. So the beautiful thing about hisgalut, which is written by Yochanan, which means it's a Jewish text because the mind of a Jew wrote it. It's actually accepted as an apocryphal writing by Judaism. So, you know, the fact that it's in what's called Christian work, which is interesting because the only part about the Bible that's actually Christian is making a canon, if you will, of Matthew through Revelation. Other than that, uh, the whole book is Jewish and even the letters that the Christians have canonized are actually Jewish books. 
So really, when there's an idea from a Christian viewpoint that, oh, I don't want to do that Jewish stuff or, man, I'm so glad the law is done away with because we can't do it anyway. And that's so old. We need the new. And, you know, Paul is the is the godfather of everything. And it's like, well, actually, his actual name is Saul because he only became Paul because it was a common name given to him. But actually, God, when he wanted him set apart. You know, God, God said uh, the one who is called Paul, but his first statement out the gate was set aside Saul. And so God really acknowledges Paul as Saul. Not that, you know, we need to get caught up on that or anything, but just a point of reference there of, you know, putting things in the right alignment. You know, life is so beautiful when you can line it all up. And, and aim it all out. OK, if you know what your priorities are, if you know what the facts are, if you know what the logic is, you line all those things up and now you got something to work with. You have less confusion. You have less distress. You have less depression. You have less anxiety when you can line everything up. Listen, if you have car issues and all that kind of stuff and you uh, don't know what's going on, and you don't know that you can go talk to a mechanic, or you don't know you can have someone look at it for you, if you didn't know any of those things existed, you would sit with your car problems, and and you would literally go nowhere, on top of running the gauntlet of emotions and feelings. So I just want to encourage us that it's the same thing with the Torah, with the Tanakh specifically, because the Torah is a part of the Tanakh. And then when we get into the Gospels, when we get into the letters, when we get into Acts, when we get into Hiskalut, like line these things up in their original casing. So that way you can work better with them and not have such division that exists in the world today. Because if we actually knew and actually followed everything out to its actual point and foundation, we would not have Sunday services. If we had Sunday services, they would be Shakarit services, followed by some Torah reading, followed by, you know, probably a little worship time or something, and followed by Musaf, followed by Minka, followed by Ma'arif. You know, and so that would t that would be what a Sunday looks like. And obviously in between the different prayer services, there's fellowship time. There's running your errands or doing what you need to do or anything like that. So uh, that's true Sunday service. And that's what we Yehudim do every Sunday. We wake up with the help of Hashem, Modeani. You know, we do Shakari, we wrap to feeling. Uh, study some Torah after we do Shakarit and, you know, hit the gate running. You know, what do we got to do today? We probably got to clean up from Shabbat because we threw down, you know, anyway. So just to line that up. So that would mean church kind of goes away because you would not be going to church. And furthermore, you know, there would be more Shabbat observances there would be more synagogues instead of churches. Churches and synagogues are completely different. If you go to a synagogue that's really like a church, you're probably not at a synagogue. So, yeah, anyway. Uh, and furthermore, if you go to a church, which this is kind of crazy, but I would love if this existed, and it was more like a synagogue, then it's not a church. 
And, you know, so that would be really cool. So Bezrat Hashem, that's where we're headed. That's why it's important for all of the Ephraim and Menashe's, which are B'nai Yosef, which are people who have been converted to Lapid Judaism, among many other tribes, but specifically for the sake of clearing the name of who our dad is, you know, Hashem, and more so Mashiach, who is our the Zodic that we have attached ourselves to. We have to clear his name because you got to take yourself all the way back to Yosef in Egypt. If you can get that story down, then you have the code breaker for this final exile because Yeshua is paralleled right there through Yosef. Okay, so he's in a foreign place. He's ruler. You know, he's given a different name. He has his children who aren't connected to his family, but, you know, they're a part of the family. They can do a lot that the family can do, which is why when the brothers come to visit Yosef and Mitzrayim, they have this epic face-off where Ephraim and Menashe are, you know, they're flexing back. You know, Reuben and Shimeon and, you know, uh, Naphtali, they're all kind of doing their things like, oh, we ain't playing around. We got this. And then Ephraim and Menashe was like, we'll take on all y'all. And it's just kind of like Yosef in the middle, like, what are you guys doing? We're family. Like, what is this? You know, and it's like, well, they better not test us, you know, kind of thing. So that's what we are as Lapid, uh, something, something, most of us. I mean, I don't want to speak for everybody, but we definitely are in that type and shadow to where we know who Yosef is, but the brothers don't. And yet they're interacting with them because, yeah, they're reading Torah scrolls. They're wearing ZZ. They're eating kosher. They're keeping Shabbat. I mean, that's Yosef. They're interacting with him. They're having meals with him. They're, they're sitting down at Arab Shabbat with the candles lit. And they're partaking of the bread. And remember, Yosef didn't give anybody bread unless they were circumcised. So our brothers who don't believe in Yeshua HaMashiach, but yet they're Torah observant, they're Shoma Shabbos, they're Yehudim, they're converted. They're uh, they're interacting with Yosef. So anyway, that's kind of the pattern that we're sitting in. And I want to point out the acronym Ephraim and Menashe also fits the acronym Aleph Mem, which fits Aharon and Moshe. So there are all these redeemers that have been uh, throughout the centuries, like Esther, Mordecai, you know, and Eliyahu, Mashiach, you know, like all these types and patterns all have to do with the Aleph and the Mem. So guess what? As Lapid, we fit the Aleph and the Mem because we're Ephraim and Menashe type per se, not that we technically and specifically and nothing else are. But we are in that pattern of we know who Yosef is and we're like aware that our brothers are eating with him. And so we're serving. So this is why we're not getting upset and flipping the script if we get looked down upon or if we get called illegitimate or, you know, if we don't get to go to uh, different events in the Jewish community or if we're not welcome in their synagogues or things like that because we're serving them. And the best servants sometimes are outside of the camp. For instance, who prepares the solution of the red heifer? That person is going to spend some time outside the camp. But guess what? Because of what they did, they bring a purification 
for those who have the highest level of impurity, which is impurity through contact with death, with death. So all of your people who go out to fight wars and they kill people, it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Before you think you can come back in the camp, go get sprinkled and go hang out outside the camp with the person who prepared that. You know, so it's just kind of like, OK, so I'm just saying, like the people who are outside of the camp typically, you know, are on a higher service level. So, you know, Mashiach said the greatest among you is a servant. So there's that. Anyway. So here's where I want to go with this. So I want to point out that, you know, that we're clearing the name of Mashiach ben Yosef, who is also Mashiach ben David, by the way. This is why when he reveals himself, that's the way he'll reveal himself as ben David. And obviously his ben Yosef will show through because he still has the marks on him. And Mashiach ben Yosef is the Akedah. So the Akedah, remember, Akedah means marked one. So the marked one will reveal himself as Mashiach ben David when that appointed time is to occur. And Bezrat Hashem, we're hastening the Geula and it will occur sooner than later. Uh, the other thing that I want to point out is, uh, this is again from an Aliyah day from Vayelech, uh first reading that, you know, Captain Israel was talking about how we are to be nice. No name calling. Don't look down on people. So this is a really cool place for us because we're getting to see all the dots that Hashem has illuminated for us that not many people are even seeing. And furthermore, not even people know about. Because sometimes you can show this information to people and they don't see it, even though it's right in front of them. And you sit there and you scratch your head and you want to like shake them and be like, hey, what's going on? Well, why can't you see this? You know, you know, it's kind of like those drinks where you have to shake well before opening, you know, and it's just kind of like, okay, shake them up and twist the top and check out this insight. You know, like, okay, I don't believe that that's bondage. You know, I don't want to deal with that Jewish stuff or, you know, anti-missionaries come at you. I can't believe you would go into idolatry and do all this kind of stuff. And so from both sides, you're just like, okay, so this is not the drink I was looking for. Put the top back on, put that back where it needs to go, and I need to go somewhere else. This is called gathering in the divine sparks, by the way. But anyway, I just love that he brought this message out because we cannot get upset with people who Hashem hasn't illuminated yet. And we can't look down upon anyone who's not illuminated because beware we stand lest we fall because the only way we got here is through Bezrat Hashem humility because if we didn't, then it's going to spoil unless we're really working on becoming humble through Musar, which we just so happen to have a beautiful resource here at Lapid through Batya Gage who has the Musar and I mean, okay, so Batya Gage, by the way, she is Eshet Pela, which is Wonder Woman. So that's her Avenger character. And she truly fits that bill because all of her sources are like the lasso of truth. She rubs you with it and then she hits you with the inside and you're like, I confess, you know, and I can't do anything about it. And then if you really, you know, want to buck the system, she's super strong and she will knock you out with more truth you know and it's just kind of like you can't really do anything but just kind of submit and you're just like wow like 
why such violence allowed here? Like, I thought you people were peaceful. But anyway, so that's that's my my takeaway on on all of her uh, drops. She has a podcast on Anchor, and she's also on the Lapide YouTube live. So there's a whole thing on Musar. This Musar is definitely going to help you clean your vessel and make it worthy of the light that is getting put out in these final days. So that way, Bezbar Hashem, we don't shatter. And furthermore, we can illuminate the world. So there's that. Um, so just continuing on is just I want to make sure that, you know, as we are heading out into this new year, like, you know, let's unleash. Let the resurrection begin. Let Takun Olam maximize in potential. You know, look at people as you would see yourself. If you saw yourself as this person who was doing whatever they're doing, for example, you you have someone that always just ticks you off. It's just like, why am I doing that? Don't say, why are they doing that? Say, why am I doing that? Okay, because whatever they're doing is a reflection of who you are. And I believe that was in um, the Hasidic Insights. I, I knew I was going to need this point, and I don't know why I didn't queue it up. So let's see. Um, if we look at someone else. Um, hmm. Searching, searching, looking. Hmm. Let's see our flaws. Uh, hmm. Stand by for one moment. Okay, here we go. Brukashem. So this is Hasidic Insights. This is right before the verse talking about I will hide my face in that day, which comes down in Capitulo, 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 chapter. Oh, we gonna get there. We gonna get there for sure, for sure, for sure. This is uh, chapter 31. Okay, so this is all chapter 31 on Hasidic Insights right now. So it says, because my God is not within me, because I'm not sufficiently and spiritually attuned to be sensitive to my own shortcomings. So it says that this evil has found me, which is I have been forced to see my own evil reflected in my fellow Jew. I want to also extend that out into my fellow human being. Because every person has the potential to become a Jew. So just say la, because this is how Yeshua taught us, Mashiach Yeshua. If you go back to the uh, Kohelet Drash from this past Shabbat on Parsha Nitzavim from Sar Shalom, that, you know, we came across this insight about, you know, if you feed uh, a morsel of bread to a sage, you know, all the beautiful attachment you have to that and serving Hashem, that Yeshua taught that if you do that to, you know, a poor person, a stranger, someone in prison, someone who was naked and needed clothing, if you did that to them, you've done it to Hashem. 
So Judaism has this precedent already set down, at least in the context of if we are, uh, you know, clothing sages or feeding them or giving them lodging, that it's as if we've done it to Hashem. Yeshua is like, well, I actually tell you that it's even if you do it to those who are considered the least of them, you've done it to me, which if we do it to him, we've done it to Hashem, which again, go ahead and keep swerving that the uh, the Basora portion for Parashat Nitzavim talked about the words that come from the mouth of Yeshua are only from Hashem. The only words he spoke were Hashem's words, not his own. Yeshua is not to be seen as separate from Hashem in any form or fashion. This is where the Trinity doctrine goes awry because it separates out Yeshua HaMashiach from Hashem. And it's like, well, you got the Father, you got the Son, you got the Holy Spirit. Like they're not all, they're the, they're all one, but they're not really like one because you can kind of like go with the Son on this and then you can go with the Spirit over here on this and then you go with the Father over here on this. This is why the New Testament exists. This is why that doctrine exists. There's not a New Testament because there's nothing new and there was never a testament prophesied. Everything was supposed to be renewed. And the only testament is called a breach, which is a covenant, which a covenant is different from testament. And this is why some people will try to blend it and say, oh, it's the new covenant, the new testament. It's like, that's not really what that means. There's only one covenant. There's only one testament. And it's the Torah. It's the word that Hashem has given us in the beginning. So you look at all of that. Now you can line that back up to the source that when Mashiach comes, he will pretty much be a, I'm going to use this word, it's a hot word, reincarnation of Moshe. Now, obviously, Yeshua was before Moshe, and there's a whole lot to talk about there. So if Moshe was really Yeshua, then, you know, that's going to kind of defeat the logic understanding that Mashiach was in the beginning. He was slain before the foundation. He is the word of Hashem and the word of Hashem made mankind and the word of Hashem is not a man. And then Moshe was a man and the Moshe was not the word of Hashem, but he spoke the word of Hashem and Moshe also died. And so he's awaiting to be resurrected, but he's considered to be alive with Hashem, just like all the other Zadokim who are always considered to be alive. But that's not, that's another drosh for another time. Vezrat Hashem with Vezot Baraka. I will get into that. I have a whole Instagram just stream of information on that. So just, just hang tight on that. Vezrat Hashem, post Geula, we can get into that. But uh, if Mashiach doesn't come, then uh, I will definitely, with the help of Hashem, bring that down if I am allowed to. So Baruch Hashem. Because who knows what the next uh, 20-something days hold. Because we're on the verge of Rosh Hashanah. And I pray that we all merit to be inscribed for life in the year to come. And for a good, sweet, prosperous, and blessed, and amazing year. Avenging the world. Because if we don't get to get into the final Geula, then you can make sure we're going to avenge it. Alright, so... That being said, Baruch Abba Shem Adonai, may, may it be so that we get to see our king. So continuing on this point about 
what other what we see in other people is really ourselves. This is why we love our neighbors. We love ourselves because when we love our neighbor, we're loving ourselves. And when we're loving ourselves, we're loving Hashem. So loving your neighbor is loving Hashem. Loving yourself is loving Hashem because loving Hashem is loving yourself and loving Hashem is loving your neighbor. Because guess what? You're all connected because what you have inside of you reflects off in your neighbor. So therefore, if you're not getting something right, it's going to show up in your neighbor. That's why the Hasidic insight is bringing this down. Again, it's Parsha Vayelik, chapter 31, Hasidic Insights. So it says, rather than noticing others' faults, we should endeavor to notice their virtues. Moreover, we should emphasize them in our own minds, in their minds, and in the minds of all those around us. So don't worry about their faults as much as their virtues. Worry about people's virtues. And I use the term worry because I want you to take the intensity of your worrying and place it on the virtues. And I want you to spread that like you would spread a rumor. Spread that like a wildfire spreads in a forest. You start spreading people's virtues around. That's what's up. Okay, I'm just saying that's what we need to get into. Because that's how Hashem really focuses on us. He focuses on pointing out our virtues. When he's calling us to make teshuva, when he's rebuking us, he's rebuking us from that standpoint of you are better than the situation you're in. You are stronger than what is defeating you. You are filled with my spirit and you by default have the essence of joy like etched and threaded into your being. It's in the very fabric of your DNA. Simka. Joy. Because Simka rearranges to Mashiach. And remember who created us? Hashem through the word of God, which was Mashiach. So Simka, the word, creation. So when you have Simka, you connect back to creation. Like the, the pivotal point of you becoming a live functioning person through Simka. This is why we have to serve Hashem with Simka. Everything we need, everything we do needs to come through Simka because that's how you can create and make all things new. Okay, so the whole point of making all things new is you're supposed to do that every single moment. This is how you make Teshuva on Teshuva. This is how you constantly are born again. This is how you experience new life. This is what it means to be saved. Because saved should mean that you just got saved like a second ago. So upon being asked, are you saved? You're like, yeah, I just got saved because I just made Teshuvah. Because I just reattached myself to the Torah of Hashem. That's going to throw a lot of people off. Because when people ask you if you're saved, they're asking if you believe in JC. Notice no one ever asks you if you're saved, do you believe in Yeshua HaMashiach? Because you just like, that's an airplane crashing into a train on top of an automobile. It's just kind of like, what just happened? This is so tragic. Whoa. It's like, yeah, because if you're in Yeshua HaMashiach, you exude life and life everlasting, which is eternal life. Which is ultimately what people should be getting at when they ask if you're saved. But there's no way to ask if people are saved because until the final day, 
how did you live your life? Did you stay on the path or did you ever get off? Because for the moment that we think we'll never leave this path, that's the moment that we definitely need to look out. Because we don't know what the next moment holds. So this is why we have to fight violently every single moment. We have to fight the good fight. This is why we have to keep our focus and our mind stayed and fixed on the author, perfecter, and finisher of our Imuna, the Aleph Tav, you know. And so Hashem Echad is basically what that is. That is like Hashem and his fullness. All the manifestations that we could possibly grab a hold on. That's it. Okay, that's that's who the author, perfecter, and finisher of our Imuna is. Okay? All summed up in Mashiach Yeshua. So, there's that. Not that it's only Mashiach Yeshua, but remember, he is the manifestation of Hashem. He is the primordial Adam, the Adam Elyon, the supernal Adam, brought down and manifest into the world so that we can understand who we truly are. The second Adam that delivers us from the gift of the first Adam, the gift of the first Adam, I don't know if it's really a gift, right? Because it was death. But death is actually a beautiful gift because death brings atonement. And when you look at the fact of us being able to die and yet live, it's a beautiful concept because when we put to death our old habits, our old deeds, our old mindset, we get to move now freely into what Hashem has originally called us to do. And furthermore, after we physically die in this current form, we're going to take off what's uh, mortal and we're going to put on the immortal. And so uh, death is coming in some fashion or form, whether it's in the twinkling of an eye or whether we fall asleep before Mashiach gets here. So Bezrat Hashem, we can all stay alive and pass as a twinkling of an eye. Or, you know, Hashem is going to be just as a judge in, uh, when our final time is. So, uh, yeah, you know, Baruch Hashem, because every day, make the most of it, right? Not meant to be sad, it's actually meant to be inspiring. Because, you know, if we lived our life knowing when we were going to die, how would we really live and so it's it's a gift that Hashem is hidden that moment from us because that helps us to not waste time that help us to not get dis disabled you know it's the same thing about seeing into the spirit realm which exists simultaneously with the physical so animals have this uh, this ability to see that that's why you know if you really look into all of the scary spooky witch like um spells and incantation stuff you can get all these different animal parts make concoctions and and you know get into the spirit realm and see things or you can work yourself up through yoga and uh chanting mishnah and you can see things you know it's called practical kabbalah uh not called torah kabbalah it's called practical kabbalah which is a big difference is the is as big as a difference as yeshua is from jesus like that's a that's a big gap Okay, it's a way long gap. Anyway, so all those things. So Hashem has kept us from being able to see that realm. The only way we can see that realm is if we break the code by doing something illegal uh, spiritually, which is all that kind of demonic idolatrous stuff. We don't want to do that because if we did, we would definitely probably die because if we knew what we were surrounded by at any given moment, 
then we would we'd be like uh what you know like among many other statements we probably have some some other words that we'd be saying that are not kosher so it's that bad but anyway we need to focus we need to be here and now and we need to get it in okay so continuing on here it says just as the sages encourage us to inspire those around us to love god so should we endeavor to inspire those around us to love every i'm going to go ahead and say everyone even though it says every yehudi every jew for as rabbi Schneur zalman of liali points out where does he point this out hayom yom six on uh tishrei hayom yom six of tishrei so hayom yom is a beautiful uh daily uh, commentary work, kind of like a devotional. Uh, Jewish devotionals, by the way, aren't even fair. Like You can't even call them devotionals because they're like, they're just ridiculous. Anyway, but Hayom Yom, that's one of the works of Rabbi Schneur, Rabbi Schneur Zalman of Liadi. So as he points out there, loving our fellow Jew is a means by which we can achieve love of God. Okay, so also loving every human being. Again, we're taking it up a notch, getting to the inner meaning because everyone has the potential to be a Yehudi. This is why when we get when we go out to gather divine sparks, we have to understand some people may or may not grab a hold of this. And just because they don't, don't mean they will later. In the meantime, you're not called to choke them out or drop kick them or tell them turn or burn or get sanctified or chicken fried. Like you're not allowed to say that. But anyway, I digress. I don't want to tell you what to do, but it's just a wonderful, helpful suggestion. I have on my screen some lyrics that I'm going to spit, as they say, in uh, the rap terms. The return is words, or better yet, the word. Hashekinah keter, where we're unhindered. Following moments, we're surrendered. For the Simcha set before Yeshua. Yes, he entered. And he, yes, he endured what he entered. Shell shocking everything. No longer splintered. So be young Kawabunga. Connected from down under. A shoot from the stump of Jesse. Yesi, exalted in highest excellency. May his kingdom come quickly. Okay, so that is from a song I have called Yeast Box Shimka. You can check that out on my website, uh, emetlapid.webs.com. Shameless plug, I showed it. Because I ain't playing around. Take I took my gloves off. Okay. Brass knuckles, steel chairs. I'll take the bell. Okay. I'm I'm going in. Like old school. Uh, it's now called WWE, but it used to be called something else. And uh one of the brandings of it was called Warzone. So this is a war zone. Anyway, um that's from that song. And we're in the month of Elul and we're on those final moments, you know, and I'm getting ready Bezad Hashem to do Minka. And we're going to ask Hashem at Minka to bless all of 5779 at the final moments. The final prayer service are going to bless the whole entire year because that's how grateful uh, that's how graceful and merciful Hashem is, is that he allows us in a moment to backtrack and, and bless everything in the past. And it's just kind of like, wow, Hashem, you are. You're something else. And he's like, I know. And that's why I'm called Kadosh.
because I'm something else. Because really, holiness means unlike any other thing. So, uh, yeah. Because I, yeah, I'm, okay, I'm going to say this. It's going to be kind of crazy, I know. But as if the rest of this podcast hadn't been crazy. Your wife, your specific wife, if you're a dude and you're a husband, your wife is something else. She's not anybody else's wife. She's your wife. Likewise, you, husband, myself, me, I'm husband too. I'm something else. I'm nobody else's husband. I'm only my wife's husband. So Hashem, Hashem is Kadosh. There's nobody else that's Kadosh. And there's that. You know, so why do we call him HaKadosh Baruku? The Holy One blessed is he because there's nothing else. There's no one else who is Kadosh but Hashem. So therefore, if we're called Kedoshim, what does that mean? Selah. Okay, I could answer that by telling you, obviously that means we're connected to Hashem and we're an extension of His holiness because remember, we're not separate. Or I could tell you that we're bound up and betrothed to Him, which means that we should be ex excelling in the holiness that Hashem has modeled for us, which is why we're Torah observant and why we convert, which is why we live lives that are Shomer and Kosher. So there's a few answers. There's at least 72 more because every facet of Torah is at least 70 to 72, possibly even more because Hashem is infinite. So I don't even know why 72 would be a limit, but that's the fullest expression of the divine name is 72. And obviously that is inside of creation. So outside of creation, which we have no idea about, there's obviously going to be infinity which is getting into Ain Sof is what that is called, the uh, the one who is without end. And when you study Torah from an Ain Sof perspective, you have to be resurrected and you have to be in the final redemption in order to get that because learning a half of a letter stroke, we would truly have a stroke and we would die. Like, that's just what it is because we can't, we can't, we just can't. I mean, imagine all the insights and everything we're learning now through Lapide. We just can't. We want to throw stuff. We want to like drop kick people. We want to jump out of windows. We want to like run around the block screaming. Okay, so that's inside of creation. Imagine learning Torah outside of creation, which is why we're going to be resurrected to get outside of creation. So anyway, that escalated quickly and that took a dramatic turn. But what I was pointing out in that verse that I just spit, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, the, the, you know, when I spit, I spit my rhymes, you know, kind of thing. But uh, there's no slob anywhere in here. But anyway, um, this is just a rap vernacular. That when we return to Hashem, it's through words. It's through the word. It's the Shekinah. It's the Keter. It's where we're unhindered. It's the moments where we surrender. And so the, the moments that follow after we surrender, you know, the joy that's set before us. Remember, Simcha, new creation, Yeshua. This is what he endured when he entered, when he came into the world. He knew he was going to endure all of this. And then we're shell-shocked. It's just like everything. Whoa, it's powerful. It's new beliefs. It's new understanding. It's new illumination. We're no longer splintered. Okay. You know, Master Splinter, you know, Ninja Turtle, Shell Shock, 
you know. Now, I'm t I was a play on words because, you know, when you get a splinter in your hand, it disables you. You stop. You're like, oh, this hurts. It's painful, you know. And so you now are shell-shocked that even your pains now turn into something you're just, like, excited about because you realize what the pain is for and it motivates you to grow, you know. And I'm just going to be very uh, transparent here that, you know, my wife and I, through our miscarriage, you know, major splinter, uh, to say the least, that, you know, it hurt so bad and it still hurts and it will continue to hurt. But because we get the opportunity to endure, because we're surrounded by such an army of Lepedniks, it's ridiculous. What's wrong with y'all? Thank you. <laughs> you know, but yeah, we're moving. You know, we're connected from down under like a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Because, yes, he is exalted in highest excellency and may his kingdom come quickly. It's like I can get... We can get through. All of us shall get through. So cowabunga, like the Ninja Turtles, okay? Uh, the other line that I want to bring down that it says, um, you know, I had to get my act right because my king is on where I was trying to hide my sin like packed tight. Now it's Kaddish on the mic, Kaddish with my life, Aki Da Bun, Olive Sheen, that's the light. So when we talk about being the light of the world, it's, it's H, it's fire, it's Olive Sheen. Olive Sheen just so happens to be the acronym for Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah. That's what we are in these final days as we are out preaching the message of Teshuva, seeking to convert all who are willing to enter in to covenant with Hashem. Like we're all a bunch of Abraham and Sarahs. Like we ain't playing around. We're after any human being, you know, who is searching and seeking for Hashem. The harvest is plenty. The workers are few. That was like a, a understatement to Abraham and Sarah because it was Abraham and Sarah with the entire world. I mean, yeah, he had Lot and his his, uh, you know, Lot and his. Well, I think he had a wife. He he got his wife from Sodom. So that came later. But it was Lot. And the people that they converted while they were in Haran, you know, uh, when they were leaving on the Leklaka. So when I, when that all went down, you know, the harvest was plenty, but the workers were real few, like Abraham and his household. So, you know, we have a few more people than that. And, you know, Shem, and the last time Yeshua told us to go out and make Talmudim, there was about 120 that were in the upper room awaiting Shavuot. And when the tongues of fire came down, there's 120. Currently in Lapid, there's a little over 120. So, you know, pretty sure we got more than that. So that that's just kind of some scales for us to kind of look at. But the Akidah bond, Olive Sheen, that's the light. Like we need to understand that our bond with Hashem is being an Akedah. We have to be marked for Hashem. How are we marked for Hashem? Do you look Zanut? Do you act Zanut? Do you speak Zanut? Do you think Zanut? Which is all modesty. Shomer Shabbat. Kashrus. You know, Lamed Torah, studying Torah, diving to Philot, praying, you know, Gimelul Chasidim, acts of kindness. Remember, there's three pillars. There's Torah, Avoda, Chesed. Torah, like studying the word of God. Avoda, praying, 
chesed, being kind. We're doing those things. That's what we need to do. That, by the way, Kabbalistically, like kosher Kabbalah, says that that's how we bring the infinite light into a finite world. So if you really want to light the world up, so to speak, that's how you do it. Avodah Torah Chesed. Now, I started this little project on the days of creation because as we reach the 25th of Elul, we reach the anniversary of the birthday of creation, which Rosh Hashanah day one is going to correspond to the sixth day of creation. And then Rosh Hashanah day two is going to correspond to that seventh day, which will be like Shabbat. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay, so like the whole thing about Rosh Hashanah being a two-day holiday, a two-day Yom Tov, and it being on a Rosh Hodesh, and it being the festival of six, the festival of man, and this is where we crown Hashem as king, this is judgment day, this is where we sound the shofar, we cry out to Hashem, we make more teshuva than we ever have in our entire life, and upon doing that, this is where we go off the charts because 5779, whatever our limitations were, wherever we were struggling, making our true teshuva into Rosh Hashanah all the way through Yom Kippur, that's our new baseline. So this is the, the platform that we launch off from now. We don't go back and we don't go pick up other stuff that used to to cut us down, used to chop our legs off. We don't do that. So anyway, all that being said, I started this whole seven days of creation where I wanted to just kind of drop some midrash, drop some encouragement and, uh, you know, just kind of revisit seven days of creation because seven days are always super significant because that's the number of days that Hashem has given us in a week. For six days, we shall do our work on the seventh day. We shall rest. And it's so interesting that when we were counting the Omer back in the spring, that we counted, you know, 50 days of the Omer, but each Omer we went through for seven days so that there became a seven week of Omers because there are seven specific uh, attributes we went through. Those all co corresponded to our emotional, physical makeup. So this was called Chesed, Gevura, Teferet, Netzach, Hod, Yesod, Malkut. Seven branches like a menorah, if you will. The center of that menorah being Teferet, which corresponds to Memtet. It corresponds to Yaakov and all of that. So anyway, uh, that's another Josh for another time. Just wanted to really speak to the fact of the sevens that, you know, when you look at our seven days that we're going, that we have gone through and we're now getting ready to enter in the sixth day as of the evening per this podcast. But, um, you know, we're, we have the opportunity through our Teshuvah to rectify all of our Midot, all of our character traits, everything that has to do with each one of those specific Sephirot, we can do in a day. We can take seven days, collapse it down into one day. And if we want to be real spiritual, we can make each day a whole week so that by the end of the seven days, we make seven weeks. Put all your weeks in a day, you know, kind of thing. So just really exponentially building, exponentially rectifying and tacooning, repairing. And how do we do this? 
you know, what are we praying about? What are we focused on? What are we eating? Like spiritually eating the food that we don't know about kind of thing. So one of the many things that you can do is just really evaluate your life and look at, you know, where do I need to change? Where have I changed? Where am I changing? How far have I come? And if you're not experiencing change, if you're not going anywhere, you know, see what the hindrance is. Why am I not changing? Do I want to? And do I feel like I'm out of time? Do I feel like I just I'm tired? You know, then evaluate your schedule. What are you spending your time doing? Do less. I'll tell you, for example, one of the biggest things that's helped me over this past seven days is my things that I used to veg out watching things that I used to veg out searching. You know, when I find when I get on Facebook or YouTube, I'm just scrolling. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Stop, stop for a second real quick. Click on that. Okay, look at that. Oh, that is related to this and that rabbit trail. And then by the end of it, I haven't accomplished anything, but just, you know, pure leisure, you know, just kind of vegging out here, not really productive. And then it's like, but I, I, I need all the time to do all this other stuff, man. I'm tired. I need to go sleep now. And then you didn't get anything done. But you know about, you know, your baby sister's cousins, you know, lunch and then some random video about, you know, how to prepare a dessert that you're never going to eat because when are you going to have time to cook that and when are you going to go buy those supplies? But it looked good, though. So, I mean, this is just kind of some real stuff. Uh, me, I love dance. So I had choreographers I used to follow and I used to watch their classes because they put together compilations of the different groups that learn their choreography. And so it's just, you know, a 10 or 15 minute video of all the different groups of people who took their classes performing this one routine. And I'm like, I could do that routine or I can't do that routine. That's a little interesting. Oh, my goodness. That's inappropriate. You know, all this kind of stuff. And obviously some of the music choices in these uh, videos were not good. And so I had to put that away and just kind of be like, all right. And, you know, I would wonder sometimes why well, I had this cloud around my head, like Charlie Brown style. And it's just like, well, what have you been listening to? What have you been watching? What have you had to like pull yourself away from? Because you're like, oh, I can't believe they did that. Turn that off. You know, like if I'm putting myself in these situations, then it's just like, what is that keeping me from doing? You know, and it goes like that for all of us, that there's something that we can look at that if we did a few adjustments to it, we would get into that change pattern that is so beneficial. So for me, I feel like I've been running off premium gas because I spent less time scrolling and, you know, I was going to say I spent less time scrolling and more time trolling. But no, I didn't troll because I don't know what trolling is. And uh, I'm pretty sure I don't do it because if I did it, I would probably know what that was. Maybe. I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter because I'm not doing it. I'm focusing on I want change. I want to be different. I want to go to Judgment Day uh, freaked out, but confident that I am doing all that I could possibly do. I'm not leaving anything undone. Like that's where I'm at. I'm freaked out, but I've been productive. And, you know, if you're going to come in front of a shim and not be freaked out, I don't know how you do it. And I'm not going to ask you because I'm, I'm totally fine with being freaked out in front of the, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the God of all creation, the one who can breathe 
in and cause this to turn into a greasy spot. So anyway, so with that being said, the three, the, the days of creation, I did day one and two. So now I have three, four, five, six, and seven. That's what I'm going to try to do with these few minutes of time that I have left for this podcast. All right. So check this out. So third day of creation, I want to touch back on to the day one and two of creation uh, information about the garments and Adam being the tacoon or Aharon being the tacoon of Adam and how that was and the high priest and his garments and all that kind of stuff and the angel of Hashem and all that. Okay. Because the Kohen Gadol is, is a reflection of Memtet, and Memtet is supposed to tikkun Adam. That's why this is all seen in Aharon. So, there's all of that. So, stand by for one moment. Alrighty, so, here we go. So we got Shemot 28.2. I'm just resourcing everything out. All right. So here we go. So I know it was kind of crazy. I just kind of went into it. Didn't really have a lot of time, a lot of information, but here it all is now. Okay. Shemot 28.2. That's the Rebbeinu Ubaqiya verse that dropped all that down about Aharon being a tikkun for Adam and Aharon and all that kind of stuff and everything. Okay. So, or, and the angel of Hashem, like that whole thing was brought out there. Our own, the Kohen Gadol, considered to be the Malak Adonai, or be like the Malak Adonai. So that's interesting, because remember, Mashiach was like Hashem. So there's all that. Anyway, um, we got Shemot 28.2, talking about the garments make for our own, for glory and beauty. Ramban with a noon, which is Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman. Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman, the Ramban. This is brought down by my Habibi brother, Torah study person, Benny B. Hope he is doing well. He brings down this in his uh, commentary on Parsha Tezave. It says he connects this verse. Ramban connects this verse to Yosef Hazadik's coat of many colors. So yes, the priestly garments were found precedented in the coat of many colors of Yosef Hazadik. Also known as Yosef ben Yaakov or Yosef ben Yisrael. Okay, so it says. Okay, because quick swerve, I know. Yeshua Hamashiach, when he was born, he was literally Yeshua ben Yosef because his father was Yosef. Yosef's father was Yaakov. So Yeshua's granddaddy, when he was born, was a man named Yaakov. So the whole Yaakov, Yosef, Yeshua, like that completely happened. Like that is so legit. Anyway, coincidence? I think not. All right, here we go. Ramban, though. Let's get back to it. This means that he may be distinguished and glorified with garments of distinction and beauty, just as scripture says, as a bridegroom. So now the Kohen Gadol's like a bridegroom. Come on. Yerushalayim and he's Galut, which is Revelation, comes down from the Hashemayim and rests upon the earth like a bridegroom adorned. 
Okay, so the bridegroom is Yerushalayim. It's also the Kohen Gadol. It's also Yosef Hazadik. Anyway, as a bridegroom puts on a priestly diadem. For these garments of the Kohen Gadol correspond in their forms to the garments of royalty. So king and priest, yes. Okay. This is why Mashiach was mikvah by Yochanan Hatovel, which is Yochanan the Immerser. Because what do you immerse people in? A mikvah. Oh, great. Not far from a Baptist. Because baptism and a mikvah are completely different. But anyway, uh, so <laughs> these priestly garments, the priest has garments of a king is basically what he's bringing down. It says, which monarchs wore at the time when the Torah was given? Stop it. Because remember this one time Hashem called us a, a Malkut Kohanim, a kingdom of priests? Like we were all that when we were standing at the mountain? Okay, yeah, so we all had a coat of many colors at that point. This is why the angels came down and gave us two crowns, one for Nase, one for Nishma, one for we will do, one for we will hear. We were clothed in the splendor of the glory of Hashem. You know, we were clothed in supernal light, the light that we lost that when we were in the garden. Uh, we ate the fruit and we lost that light. We got that light back at Mount Sinai. Only to lose it again because we danced around the golden calf. So, all of that. Then you got the fact that uh, Yeshua came to give us those garments back. As we go throughout this process of sanctification upon his return, should we, found, should we be found remaining faithful to him, then, you know, there's that. So this is why it's important. Like I said, beware that you fight every single moment, every single day, every single time, every single hour, every single year, every single month, every single week. From Shabbat to Shabbat, you fight to get there because... You have to be found remaining faithful to enter into the fullness of the covenant. If you go off astray into oblivion, you cannot consider yourself saved. Now, who knows? Because as it was written in the letter to the Hebrews, those who have fallen away from the path, you know, they've fallen into the hands of Adonai. We should not want to know about what that means and we should not want to go over there so we can figure that out. So that's not for us to really pay attention to. The one scripture or the one verse that does tell us what to pay attention to, again, the author, perfecter, and finisher of our Muna. That's what we focus on. Anyway, so fight hard. Fight the good fight. Choose this day whom we will serve. Today, choose life. Anyway, getting back to Ramban. So exciting says, thus we find with reference to the tunic, and he made him a tunic of pasim. Pasim, meaning a cloth woven of variated colors by the way of the truth. Majesty is to kavod and to ferret, which is glory and splendor. Remember, um, okay, yeah, we got uh, Teferit, which is one of those Medot we were talking about, one of the seven, the center branch of the menorah kind of thing. 
So you got your glory and you got your splendor. And it says the verse is thus stating they should make holy garments for our own to minister in them to the glory of God who dwells in their midst. The reason why we're clothed in this light is to minister in them to the glory of God. The reason why we have Lapid is to minister to the glory of God who dwells in our midst. We should want the glory of God to dwell in the midst of the world, in the midst of every single conversation and every single encounter we have with anybody, whoever they are, whether they're a Jew or not. That's why we got this light. Let's light it up. Zohar, Volume 1, 53a. Would love to get to read this. Uh, if I get any study time, I definitely want to get into that. It says, when Adam sinned, God took from him the armor of the bright and holy letters. The letters is the original Iron Man suit. Get you some. Okay, anyway, it's probably why I like letters so much, being Shomer Man. Come on! Anyway, um, bright and holy letters, which he had been encompassed. Then he and his wife were afraid. Again, that's Zohar, Volume 1, 53a. Probably a whole lot more in there that did not get said. Sefer HaHekalot, which is also known as Third Enoch, says Memtet is clad in eight garments made of the splendor of the Shekinah. The eight garments here allude to the eight garments of the Kohen Gadol. That's from Maseket Yoma 7.5, which is Tractate Yoma. And since it's 7.5, it's not 7A or 5A. It is from Talmud Yerushalayimi, the Jerusalem Talmud. Okay, so Jerusalem Talmud Yoma 7.5. It's also footnote to 3rd Enoch 12. This is why Memtet, Kohen Gadol, Aharon, uh, Adam, Mashiach, this is why they all match up because they're all, you connect all these dots and that's what you get. Okay, so that's a whole thing on the Tikkun Adam, the, the rectification of man through the Kohen Gadol, i.e. Memtet, Aharon, Adam, Mashiach, Yeshua, who is the second Adam. Okay, day three, what's going on? So day three, the water below gathered to one place, let the dry ground appear, and it happened so God called the dry called the dry ground land. The collection of the water he called seas. God saw that it was good. Then he said, Let the land sprout grass, green plants yielding seed, fruit trees making fruit each according to its species with seed in it upon the land. And it happened. So the land brought forth grass, green plants yielding seed, each according to its species and trees making fruit with seed in it, each according to its species. And God saw that it was good. He double called it good. Had to make up for day two, which wasn't called good. It says, so there was evening and there was morning a third day. So beautiful thing about this. We got the separations of the waters and we got the one who spreads the earth over the waters, as we say in our morning blessings. That all happened on day three. Hence why day three was considered to be the day of resurrection, which is why Yeshua was resurrected on the third day. Hosea prophesied that we will all be resurrected on the third day. So day three of creation is all where we get our resurrection uh, connections. So from... Meseket Hulin, Tractate Hulin, 
B, which is Talmud uh, Bavli, Babylon. It says, Rav, Rav Asi uh, raises a contradiction between two, the two verses. Two verses. He raises a contradiction between two verses. It is written, and the earth brought forth grass. Bereshit 1.12. On the third day of the week of creation. Okay, so that's the third day. The earth brought forth grass. And it is also written, no shrub of the field was yet in the earth. Bereshit 2.5. Because when you put Bereshit 1 and Bereshit 2 together, that's all about the first seven days of creation. Anyway, I have to overlay them. It's beautiful interwoven. This is why uh, when we get to study Parsha Bereshit again and have more time in it this time, because we're aware of that. And I think Captain Israel is planning to do a whole Bereshit series. Looking at Bereshit chapter 2 connected to Bereshit chapter 1 is going to be such an amazing study. It's, all, it's just mind-blowing on a Peshat level. I can't imagine getting into commentary on that. But anyway, so you have a discrepancy about the third day from chapter 1 to chapter 2. Then it says, On Shabbat Eve, the sixth day of creation, immediately before Adam was created, Rav Asi explains, this teaches that the grass... The grasses emerged on the third day and stood at the opening of the ground, but they did not grow until Adam, the first man, came and prayed for mercy upon them and rain came and they sprouted. And this is meant to teach you that Hakadosh Baruchu desires the prayers of the righteous. So you got growth on the third day, but it didn't really burst forth until... Adam burst forth. So the grass was waiting on the man. So when you really look at the resurrection, you have this idea that Adam is going to come forth first, i.e. the second Adam, and then everything else is going to follow after that. This is why we can see after Mashiach's resurrection, okay, so the temple was destroyed, we, the land was, you know, uh, made laid waste, you know, the language got dispersed, the people got dispersed, um, you know, and and all that ensued. So now we're experiencing the rebirth of everything, the resurrection of the language, the resurrection of the land, the resurrection of the people being gathered into the land. And ultimately, we're waiting on the rebuilding of the temple with the revealing of Mashiach. So you have this whole idea of Mashiach's already gone first. So now everything else is just going to follow in its trail. So that's exciting. Okay, Devarim 30, verse 10, He's Kuni had this to say, because I love He's Kuni. That's why I'm putting this in here. Uh, yeah, I'm very biased. Okay, I shouldn't be, but I am. Sleeka, Sleeka. Okay, anyway, Sleeka, being biased. Okay, it says, If you will listen to the voice of Adonai and return to Adonai. We learn here that the time for the redemption from the exile depends on two factors. Penitence, which is Shuva. Number two, or B, option B, it says performance of both the positive commandments and avoiding the transgressions listed in the negative commandments. That's the redemption. It's, uh, it depends on these two. Are we making Teshuvah and are we Shomer Mitzvot? Okay. Seeing a whole lot of that going on at Lapid, so hence why we are we feel this like 
we're on the cusp of it. It's kind of like, well, are we going crazy in these things? We better be. Anyway, if we really want redemption, we either want it or we don't. Okay. Masekit Rosh Hashanah 16a. About this verse, Rob, he's the said. When a king and a community are brought forth, are brought before God for judgment, the king is brought in for judgment first, as it is stated, to make the judgment of his servant and afterward and the judgment of his people, Israel. What is the reason for this? If you wish to say that it is not proper to con it is not proper conduct for the king to stand outside and wait for the trial of his subjects to come to an end. If and if you wish to say instead that the king is brought in first to that he may be judged before God's anger intensifies due to the sins of the community and consequently he may be saved from overly harsh judgment. Rav Yosef said, in accordance with whose opinion do we pray nowadays on a daily basis for the sick and the afflicted? The Gemara repeats the question in accordance with whose opinion it is in accordance with the opinion of Rabbi Yossi, who holds that one is judged every day and there is reason to pray every day in order to affect the outcome of his judgment. And if you wish say that actually normative practice is even in accordance with the opinion of the rabbis who hold that one is judged only once a year, but also in accordance with the opinion of Rab Yitzhak. As Rabbi Yitzhak said, crying out to God is beneficial for a person both before his sentence has been issued and after his sentence has been issued. So we're stacking up here. We got the fact that the king is going to go in first and be judged by God's anger or judged by God's anger before it intensifies due to the sins of the community. So the king is going to mitigate the anger of Hashem. And, you know, consequently, he's saved from overly harsh judgment. And so you have this idea that the king and his community are brought into judgment before Shem, and there's a mitigation that happens through that whole process. So you do not want to be judged individually is what I wanted to point out with that. And furthermore, that yes, we're judged every year, but we need to understand and take stock of our daily judgments on a daily basis, that those things compound into that yearly judgment. And so if we're taking care of mitigating those harsh judgments throughout the year, that Bezrat Hashem on Judgment Day itself, there's a whole case file open with a whole lot of uh, defendants going on. And furthermore, we're blowing the shofar to bring in the king. So we're not trying to take an intense, harsh wrath and, and judgment from Hashem. And so being in community, taking care of our daily uh, teshuva and, you know, putting the king in before us kind of thing. So... Just a little Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, uh, help on our, our our mind frame, our psyche, our heart posture, okay? Yevamot uh, 105a says, with regard to a decree of judgment that cannot be torn up. Rabbi or Rav Shamuel Bar Unya said that Rav said, from where is it derived that a sentence of judgment upon a community is never sealed? The Gemara expresses surprise 
it is truly is it truly not sealed but isn't it written for although you wash yourself with nitre and take much soap for yourself let your iniquity or yet your iniquity is marked before me Yermiyahu 2.22, indicating that there is no longer any atonement for iniquity of a community. Rather, one must say as follows, from where is it derived that when a community's sentence is sealed, it may be torn up as a result of teshuva? As it is stated, for what great nation is there that God, that has God so close unto them as Adonai, our God, is whenever we call upon him, Devarim 4.7. The Gemara objects, but isn't it written in another verse? Seek the Lord while he may, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him when he is near, Yeshiahu 55.6. Implying that God is not always near and may not always answer whenever we call upon him. The Gemara answers, this contradiction is not difficult. I love it. It's not, this is not difficult, y'all. Check this out. This verse is concerning an individual who must seek God where he is found as he is not always equally accessible to, the, to answer those who call out to him. That first verse is concerning a community for whom he is accessible whenever we call upon him. So only in a community is Hashem accessible when you call upon him. But as an individual, you have to seek God where he is found. Because he is not always equally accessible to answer those who call out to him. But he's accessible to a community when they call up on him. I.e. Yeshua says where two or more are gathered in my name. Yevamot 105a, just finishing that out, the Gemara asks, for an individual, when is the time that God is close to him? Rav Naman said that Rav Bar Avu says, these are the 10 days that are between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So if you don't want to be in community, you're taking a lot of risk. But if you're not in community because you can't be, you have Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur to call out to God and Bezrat Hashem call up on him. All right. So I just wanted to pin that into day three of creation because, you know, it's important that, you know, what are, what are these days leading up to leading up to an encounter with the king? Day four of creation. What do we got? We got the we got the lights, the sun, the moon, the stars. So when the light came forth on day one, what was that? That was the light of Mashiach, the light of Torah, the light of the Holy Spirit. Okay, that was day one. Day four, though, was the lights in the expanse of the sky separating the day from the night. Why? Because they're going to be signs for and are signs and for seasons and for days and for years. This is where we get our Rosh Hashanah from. This is where we get the Jewish calendar from. This is how we know the times and the seasons. Okay. Through that, and it says, so God made the two great lights. By the way, okay, let me, I skipped some things. Let me go back. Because my point in day four is I wanted to bring up the Midrash on the moon and the sun being diminished. The moon being diminished, even though it used to be the same size or the same luminosity as the sun. 
We'll find out. Sleek Eye, we'll find out about that. It says, they will be for lights in the expanse of the sky to shine upon the land. And it happened so. Then God made the two great lights, the greater light for the dominion over the day and the lesser light as well as the stars for the dominion over the night. God set them in the expanse of the sky to shine on the land and to have dominion over the day and over the night and separate the light from darkness. God saw that it was good. So there was evening and there was morning a fourth day. So where does this come from? Hulin 60b. Okay, it says Rabbi Shimon ben Pazi raises a contradiction between the two verses. It is written, God made the two great lights, Bereshit 1.16. And it is also written in that same verse, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. That is so funny. I totally just read that and I didn't even think about it. But it's just like, God said there were two great lights, but he called one great and one lesser. So what's up with that? So the Talmud is picking up on that. And they're like, hey, what's going on? Says Rabbi Shimon ben Pazi explains, when God first created the sun and the moon, they were equally bright. Then the moon, the moon said, before Agados Baruku, master of the universe, is it possible for two kings to serve with one crown? One of us must be subservient to the other. God therefore said to her, i.e. the moon, if so, Go diminish yourself. So there's that. That's how the moon has no light of its own because it complained to Hashem about two kings wearing one crown. Like that's not possible. And this is why it's important for us to understand. He who makes shalom in his heights, may he make shalom upon us and upon all Yisrael. Let us all say amen. If we understood that, then we would get it. That when it comes to Hashem, he can make shalom in his heights. If he can make fire and water coexist without extinguishing or diminishing the other, the sun and the moon can shine the same brightness and both wear the same crown without diminishing one another. This is why we share and partake in the sufferings of Mashiach because we be, we become echad with him. We don't ever have to see ourselves as, now how can we co-reign with Mashiach? How can we be co-heirs with Mashiach? It's like, well, when you partake of the sufferings, you'll find out about this echad business and you'll totally be fine with that. How can two sit on one throne? Because Mashiach is at the right hand of the Father. So how are we going to be at the right hand if Yeshua is at the right hand? It's like the understanding of how to do that is Ose Shalom bin Romav, he who makes peace in his heights. Because we're going to be elevated up there should we merit to be so, first of all. And then we're, if we suffer with Mashiach, then we can reign with Mashiach as it was brought down by Shaul Hashliach. And furthermore, through your suffering, you make yourself echad with Hashem. This is why the Akidah, again, is super important. Binding yourself as an Akidah binds you to Hashem. Again, that's Aleph Sheen, that's the light. Akidah bond, Aleph Sheen, that's the light. Because in the fire, you had 
Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And they became one with that fire through Mashiach, Yeshua, who was Memtet, who showed up in the fire as that fourth person. So you got them all bound together and so that the fire did not extinguish them. And again, O say shalom bin Ramav, who ya say shalom aleinu. He who makes peace in his heights, he make, may he make shalom upon us. So he took something that should not be at shalom with us, which is fire. We should jump into fire and we should get burned. We should die. Hashem was like, I'm going to need you to be at shalom with my people because the agent of Echad, which was Memtet, was the one who bound us to Hashem and bound us in that fire together because remember, Hashem is a devouring fire. So therefore, if we're in Echad with the divine fire, then this fire, how is it really going to mess with us? Because we're all, we're all fire at that point because we're attached to Hashem through the fourth person who was in the fire with these three Hebrew boys, i.e. Memtet. This is also how Avraham made it through his fiery furnace because he was bound and attached to Hashem. And he himself was even a manifestation of Mashiach. Which is why the acronym of Adam is Avraham David Mashiach. So Adam, the the man who we're supposed to reflect, is is all there. So Adam, Avraham, you know, all of that. Okay. Day five. So day five creation, God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living things, let the flying creatures above the land across the expanse of the sky okay let flying creatures fly above up there okay so you got flying things in the water because you know they're flying through they're swimming in the water and then you got flying things in the air and they're flying through the water which is the air because remember the upper waters and the lower waters you have the water of the sky which are generally in the clouds and when rain happens then you have the lower waters which is the the sea the oceans the springs all of that they both have swarming creatures in them you got birds up top got fish below anyway says god created the large sea creatures this is where the leviathan comes from there were two of them there was a male and a female hashem slaughtered the the female because if they procreated oh my goodness the world is going to be like what you know but anyway and so that's where the uh chanel lucote chanel brings down this is where those original garments of ore which was the lesser light came from even though these garments shined brightly came from the female leviathan and time to come our suka is going to be from the skin of the male leviathan which is why the glory and splendor of Yerushalayim is going to shine forth because there's going to be a bunch of Leviathan skin sukkahs in Yerushalayim, which is the top of the world. And that light is going to be cast out over all the world. And so why are we partaking of the Leviathan? Because we're not going to waste the skin after Hashem has slaughtered it. So there's all that. And that all is connected to day five of creation. Remember five, five books of Torah. Five being the spirit, five being Teshuvah. And when we, where do we see Teshuvah in this day? Because the Teshuvah is all about the hay that, you know, you fall out through the bottom of it and you have to climb back up into that little spot and Hashem is going to help you do so. And we see that through the Leviathan because once we uh, had to confess and admit to Hashem, we ate from the tree and, you know, we started the blame game. You know, we fell out of the glory. We lost our, we lost our light. 
But Hashem was like, but I'm going to give you light. You know, and then it was up to us to tikkun and rectify from that point on. This is why we have to be hidden, clothed in Mashiach, because we've lost so much through sin. We were deserving of death and we were delivered from it. And now we put on Mashiach, who Hashem slayed for us, just like he slayed the Leviathan. And now we're clothed in Mashiach, his death, burial and resurrection. What are we going to do with it? Bezrat Hashem make Teshuvah. Because if you walk around looking all nice, then you don't clean the outside of the cup. You don't clean the inside of the cup. You're going to be a, a pretty looking tomb is what you're going to be. So let's not be that way. Let's make sure that we look as good as we do inside as much as we do outside. Because being clothed in Mashiach Yeshua, Hashem is giving you splendor and glory. So your inside, your life, your character, your midot, your madrega has to reflect that. Okay? So that's day five. Day six, when it all went down. Pun intended. Anyway, so we were created for like half a second. And we ate the fruit, and then we almost got kicked out of the garden, but Shabbat started. And because of the Shabbat, this is brought down from Pirkei de Rebbe Eliezer, we were able to stay in the garden, and that light from the first three days of creation that was hidden away because day four, we had to have the sun, the moon, and the stars be able to shine. In order for that to happen, you had to hide away the light of Torah, the light of the Spirit, the light of Mashiach, the light of Hashem. Because when you have that light from the first three days of creation, you can't see the moon, the sun, the stars. This is why in the future we'll be in that light again where we won't need the moon, the sun, the stars. Because the light of Hashem is just that great. So since that light had to go away for day four, day five, and day six, it's shown when it was Shabbat, the original day seven, which is when we got to stay in the garden because we should have got kicked out at that point. But because it was Shabbat, uh, Hashem allowed us to stay in the, in the garden. And the song means more sheer, means more sheer, sheer le'om, le'om Shabbat. That's all. That's called the song of Shabbos, by the way. So when we get the whole world to sing that song, that's going to be like redemption. Also, that song is the song of Teshuva because we realize the importance of the Shabbat and the, and the Shabbat is the essence of Teshuva. And when we're all making Teshuva, which means we're all brought back into Torah mitzvot, that is the factors of redemption. OK, so if you want a one stop shop for Teshuva, it's called Shabbat. So you do everything in there and, and that's what's up. Anyway, so that was day six of creation. Uh, mankind was brought forth and, you know, the serpent came to us and caused us to turn our back on a shim and be like, here, build a golden calf. No, don't build it. Eat it. And we're like, yeah, brisket. And it's just like, no, tree of life. We need that. Turn away. You know, and this is probably why people are like, no, don't eat meat, eat vegetables. And it's just like, that's not what that means. Let's not do that. Side note, uh, when there are these religious uh, facts or what are factions? Yeah, these religious factions that are out there are trying to fill a void because really our relationship with Hashem is not a religion. It's a way of life. And so when people get into the... 
I want to eat organic and I want to be vegan and all this kind of stuff. Like there's a religion that's attached to those things. If we're not too careful, there's totally nothing wrong with eating organic and nothing wrong with eating vegan. Trust me, I really want to be vegan. I, I would if I could. So I just happen to know some people that can help me with that. Holler. But anyway, um, but outside of balance and uh, sanity and the and the insanity and all that kind of craziness um, that these things are religions because they're trying to fill the void of the lack of their connecting and their bond to Hashem. Because when you have connecting and bonding to Hashem, when you're truly walking in Shuvah in the mitzvot, you can approach being a vegan with balance. You're not like, this is my religion. And you know, I'm like, whatever to Hashem, like, you you get it. You're like, okay, yeah, I'm blessing Hashem. I'm eating, you know, Ruk Shem. It's not that big of a deal. Like, this is what I eat. This is how I do it. I'm not going around telling the world if you're not vegan, then you're broken. You know, it's like you're broken if you don't connect with Hashem. You're broken if you're continuing to run away and be in a life of sin and depravity. The yeah, you're broken. But guess what? Yeshua can come in a moment. So your brokenness is only broken because you want it to be. If the moment you turn to Hashem, there's there's more than glue there. You got a whole brand new coming at you. Anyway, so I uh, just wanted to point that out because I've been thinking about like all these religious things about nature, people who are like so mother earthy and all this kind of stuff, worshiping trees. They're only doing that because they're not worshiping Hashem. So, you know. It's totally fine to be about the environment, totally fine to be vegan. It's totally fine to eat organic, but don't get crazy. Be a normal person. Hashem has made us beautiful. When Mashiach returns, we're going to have the great, the great wedding feast and all of that. And guess what? Mankind is going to go back to how we ate in the garden. And how do we eat in the garden? That's right. It was pretty much vegetarian, vegan. I mean, we did have live products, but yeah. So all of that kind of stuff. Because, you know, I only say uh, not, I only say vegetarian and vegan because I'm not really sure all the details on vegan. So this is another reason why I'm currently not vegan because I don't really know what that all looks like. But anyway, not to get caught up on that, just a side note about when you come across things that are made into religions, it's because they lack the true connection with Hashem and they're filling a void. This is why the council of the serpent versus the council of Mashiach is a thing. If you're not getting counseled by the voice of Hashem, like counseled, if you're not listening to his voice today, hearing his voice, then you do listen to the serpent. You do realize, oh, I can't do the law. Or I need to celebrate all these other holidays. I need to fit in with the world. The, the only reason you have those thoughts in your head is because you don't listen to the one who teaches you otherwise. The one who tells you to be in the world but not of it. The one who tells you have one God and one God only. The one who tells you today choose life. If you're not listening to that voice, you will be listening to somebody else's voice. And day seven, this is the day that God blessed. This is the day that we speak about in the Chiddush 
on uh, Yom Hashbi'i, the only day that has a name. You know all the days of the week do not have a name. The only day that does have a name is the Shabbat. So this is why we say first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, Shabbat. So with that being said, I just want to drop this in here. This is from chapter 20, uh, page 69 from Pearl K. It says, after Adam sinned, Hashem drove Adam away to work the soil from which he was taken. Bereshis 3.24 Adam left Gan Eden. So connect that dot real quick. Adam went back to the place to work that soil from which he was taken. Where was he taken from? He was taken from Mount Moriah. Once he was made at Mount Moriah, Hashem took him from there and then put him in the garden. This is why Mount Moriah is the place of the temple. This is why we pray towards the temple. This is why we should go to the temple, observe, you know, at the temple, because this is where we were sentenced to after sin, after we were kicked out of the garden. So until we get to the garden, the temple is the next best thing and the highest place we can go. So just connecting all that out. Currently, we don't have a temple. This is why we need a temple. But just so happens when we get the temple back, we are also going to be able to have access to the garden again. Holler. Anyway, Adam left Ghani Den and upon his expulsion settled on Mount Moriah. He began temple service. Okay, which is close to the entrance of Ghani Den. God had created Adam on Mount Moriah then removed him from there and brought him to Ghani. Then, as it says, Adonai, God, took Adam and placed him in the garden. Bereshis 2.15. Then after he had sent, after he sinned, God returned him to the place from where he had been taken. As it says, to work the soil from which he was taken. Bereshis 3.23. The soil from which he was taken refers to the site of the Beit HaMikdash. See, I'm so glad I wasn't lying to you on this podcast and I just read my source and it completely backed me up. I don't make things up. And when I do, it's with Dos Equis. I'm oh, just kidding, which I don't drink Dos Equis. I would love to drink a Dos Equis just for the sake of doing it. But please don't think that I'm doing MSU. You're like, don't listen to him mad when he's droshing with a Dos Equis in his hand because he says he don't make stuff up unless it's with Dos Equis. This is why I don't do podcasting with my Dos Equis in my hand. I don't even have access to Dos Equis. But OK, anyway, finish your story, right? OK. Rabbi Yehuda says, Hakadosh Baruch Hu observed the first Shabbos. Hashem observed the first Shabbat. Just going to say, if we're supposed to be imitators of Hashem, we better observe the Shabbat. Because Shaul HaShliach totally wrote that to the people in Galatia, or Ephesus, Slika, Ephesus 5.1. It says, be imitators of Hashem. He told them that. Now he didn't he didn't write that to anybody else. So, which means like, did he not want Colossi to be imitators of Hashem or Galatia or or Corinth? You know, so this is kind of where that kind of breaks down to where if you really make Paul's letters scripture, you know, if you're really that kind of person, hashtag Paul is my God. I follow him because whatever he writes is the word of God. 
then you know you kind of get in trouble there because it's just like well what if what if the letter of, of Ephesus never made it to Corinth and what if the letter of Ephesus didn't make it to you know Jerusalem or anything well the the answer to that is everyone was given the opportunity to receive the Torah which is why these congregations existed anyway so therefore they would have known to be Shomer Shabbos which was imitating Hashem because that's in Torah anyway just want to connect that dot uh, anyway so not trying to bash anybody. I just want to point the truth out because, again, we're about truth over facts. Anyway, I just I love saying that. If you can't tell, this is probably like the fifth podcast since I've learned that silly notion. Uh, anyway, so it says the Shabbos saved him from eat from the evil judgment of Gehenna. Shabbat saved us, saves us from hell. That that just basically got wrote. You want to be saved from hell? You want to be sanctified instead of chicken fried? You want to turn right or get left? Then keep the Shabbos. Now, if you really want to evangelize with that, I mean, I don't know how far you're going to get, but I mean, as I'm reading this source, that just that popped into my head. So I just had to share. OK, but anyway, the Shabbos saved him from evil. I'm, I'm laughing. I'm joking like. I mean, it's serious, but I mean, yeah, you know, hopefully you know what I mean. If not, then, you know, I'm sorry. I really mean this source. It says the Shabbat saved him from the evil judgment of Gehenna, comforting him from his anxieties. As it says, when my anxiety was abundant within me, your comforts cheered my soul. And that's from... I know that ain't from Genesis 84, 19, because it says Ibit 84, 19, but I'm thinking they quoted something earlier. Um, Psalms, I believe. Yes, Telling. Okay, Brukashem. I'm like, what? Genesis 84? Anyway, Rabbi Yehoshua ben Korka says, they, Adam and Hava, tore leaves from the tree under which they were hiding. So this is why they got their leaves. They were underneath the tree. They hid under the tree. How big was this tree? Furthermore, take this all the way to Yaakov and his family when they're crossing out of uh, Haran back into the promised land. Yaakov says, I need y'all to bury your idols underneath this tree. There's something about being buried underneath the tree. And here we are getting hidden like a burial. Like this is why we're hidden in Mashiach. We're buried in Mashiach. We're hidden underneath the tree. Mashiach is a tree of life. So we have to hide under that tree, pull those leaves down because the tree of life, the leaves of that tree heal the nations. What's healing the nations? It's bringing them into conversion. Anyway, so just a whole little drop on that. That's immediately what I thought about. So I just had to share. So hiding in Mashiach, partaking of him, this is why we're clothed in him. Because originally the tree we tried to hide under, we took the leaves from it and we tried to hide. So it says the tree they were hiding under and sewed them together. This would be the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They sewed together fig leaves and made themselves loincloths. Bereshis 3.7. I love saying that word instead of Bereshit. Bereshis it says, Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu made splendid garments. 
There we go. Back to Shemote 28.2 again. Back to the Cohen Gadol. Back to the Code of Many Colors. Back to Mashiach. It says that Hashem made splendid garments for Adam and his helpmate from the skin that the serpent had shed. So now it's like, well, Shanae Lukote says it was the Leviathan skin. But now Pearl K is saying it's the serpent skin because he shed his skin. And now Hashem is going to take the skin of that and make garments for us. So the serpent and the Leviathan are connected because they're both related to a word for Nachash and Tanim, which is likened to some kind of sea creature monster type thing. Okay. So just a little connection on that point for a little reconciliation. Uh, furthermore, uh, Hashem sacrificed apparently some kosher animal and took the skin of that and made it, you know, because a, a serpent is not kosher, but the Leviathan is. But anyway, I just want to point that out. Uh, so anyway, so you can see kind of we we're garbed in the garment of our enemies when we tried to cover ourselves with the that which destroyed us so it's like when we partook of the tree we wanted to like use the le the fig leaves to like cover ourselves this is like if we did a sin and then we wanted to like take sin and dress ourselves in sin it's like you don't hide in sin to be free and and safe from sin you got to get out of that you got to get new clothes you got to get into life how do you get into life that's teshuva torah observance mashiach okay then it's, oh my goodness. So if you're in Yeshua, you're considered to be a person of Teshuva and Torah's observance, which just so happen to be the two factors of redemption. And when we spread Mashiach in the world, he says, when this gospel is preached, then the end will come. Oh, it all makes sense now. Okay. So Hashem made garments for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Bereshit 321. As it got dark on Shabbat afternoon, 36 hours later, because remember the light shone for 36 hours because we went over this whole thing. How many hours are in a day? 12. How many hours are in a day and night cycle, which is 12 hours a day, 12 hours of night, 24. But the 12 hours of light where the light shone from the first three days of creation, that was 36 hours that we didn't get to have for the evening and the morning of four, five, and six. Those were all gathered up and brought into the Shabbat, the seventh day over here. And so we had 36 hours instead of just 12 hours. So after 36 hours, which is now what we're talking about here, as it got dark on Shabbat afternoon, this is why the sun standing still is not really a new thing. It already happened before it happened in the garden. It happened for Moshe and it happened for Yehoshua. Again, these are all people who are reflections of the primordial Adam. Even Adam himself is a reflection of the second Adam. Last indeed, but first in thought. Speaking of the Shabbat, but also Adam, you know, so Adam was fashioned, but he was fashioned and the one who was to ultimately be fashioned, which is Mashiach. Mashiach, who was the last indeed, but he was the first in thought. The first shall be last, the last shall be first, like put all that together with this type and shadow here. Okay. 
So it says a dumb thought as it's starting to get dark now. 36 hours of light just went away. Now we're starting to get dark. Woe is me. Maybe the serpent that deceived me on Arab Shabbat will strike me on the heel. So it's it's about to be Havdalah. And what got him into this disposition was Arab Shabbat. So Arab Shabbat and Havdalah, something like happened to Adam. Something happens to us on Arab Shabbat. We enter into the Shabbat. We get an extra Ruach, an extra Neshama, an expanded Neshama as it's also taught. And then on Havdalah, it goes away, which is the end of Shabbat, which is nightfall. Okay, this is why Shabbat is not technically a day. It's a day and a half. If you really look at it, I guess, on a, a American calendar, because it begins Friday night and it doesn't end until Saturday night. So you kind of got a little bit of Friday in with your Saturday. But we know this as Yom HaShabbat, which is 25 hours. And then at Havdalah, we begin Yom Rishon. But to the world, it looks like, why your Friday and Saturday always busy? I need to talk to you. We need to go out and do some things. And it's like, well, I'll get back to you on Yom Rishon. And then you call them on Saturday night and they're like, man, I'm trying to get ready for church in the morning or I'm trying to whatever, you know, and it's just like, oh, well. Anyway, back to the source over here. So he was worried about the serpent striking him again on the hill because Hashem told him and you will strike him on the hill. Bereshit 3.15. So Don was worried about when is that prophecy going to be fulfilled? I ain't ready for that. Like he, he struck me once. I don't want him to strike me again. So here we go. God sent a pillar of fire to light up the night and protect him from harm. Seeing the pillar of fire, Adam became happy and said, now I know that God is Emmanuel, which is God is with me. Extending his hands towards the flame, he said, Barukata Adonai Borei Moreha Esh. But a lie, lie, la 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 Again, the pillar of fire was also the pillar of cloud, which accompanied us in the wilderness. And what did this pillar do? Move the snakes and the scorpions so that we would not get struck in our heel. Why? Because when we were in the camp, in the clouds, we were in the garden, which is another reason why we didn't want to leave that supernaturalness, because we didn't want to get kicked out of the garden again. But Hashem was like, you made the golden calf, which is not going to be rectified till Mashiach comes. You're not going to get back in the garden until Mashiach comes. And so there's that. And you may say, but Mashiach came once and we're still not in the garden. Well, remember, that was Mashiach ben Yosef. So the rest of Mashiach, who is Mashiach ben David, that's what we're trying to hurry up and get. OK, this is why it's important for us to be doing all that we can. Where's our Shuva? Where's our Zadaka? Where's our acts of kindness? Where's our Torah study? Where's our crying out to Hashem? You know, if we're doing these things, we're hastening the Geula. Another thing I just learned that hastens is the Geula brought down by Lakute Torah, studying Halakha. And studying Halakha and properly applying it in its stringencies. 
First of all, if our bait dean hasn't come up with a statement on it, it's not a loss, okay? You now present that information to the bait dean and ask and be patient on a way that it's supposed to be applied community-wise. So just a little heads up on that because halakha is not meant to be taken on all at once and halakha is not primarily acted out at our synagogue and in our community. It's primarily acted out in our home. And when you take on a halakha, make sure that you're joyous about it. If it doesn't bring you joy, you need to wait. It's not time for you to in institute that. Okay, and furthermore, you need to understand all of the depths of the halakha before you take it on because you don't want to ever put yourself in a position in a position. Yes, a position and a situation, a situation. You don't want to put yourself in a situation of, oh, my goodness, I was holding this halakha and I didn't realize that if I did this, I invalidated it. Or if I did this, I forgot or whatever. Like, don't do that to yourself. Be joyous. Be smart. Be balanced. Be joyous. Be smart. Be balanced. Okay. 5780 coming at you. All right, here we go. After retracting his hands from the flame, Adam said, Now I understand that the holy Shabbat is distinct from the weekdays. Fire may not be ignited on the Shabbat. Therefore, he said, The Havdalah blessing. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Hamavdil ben Kodesh Lekol Hamavdil ben Kodesh Lekol All right, Baruch Shemo. Mezuzah, my source here. So Baruch Hashem, that is the seven days of creation. Bezrat Hashem, this was a helpful series and a good preparation for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Bezrat Hashem, with upcoming days off outside of Shabbat uh, this week, I will be able to do a Vayelech GT, which will get us ready for Shabbat Shuva and Yom Kippur and launch us ahead for Sukkot. Uh, because, you know, it's about that time. So may you be blessed this week. Take full advantage of everything that you can do to attach yourself to a shim, whether that's being nice to people, giving charity, davening, reading Tehillim or uh, whatever, whatever you can do. More Teshuvah, more Baruch Abba Shem Adonai's, more Hashem, please make us worthy of the days of Mashiach Yeshua and the life of the Alam Haba. Todah Rabbah for being with me on this podcast. And thank you for, yes, Todah Rabbah for 5779 uh, with me as we've gone through the Haftarah GYS and the Parsha GYS. We began the Agarit Romans podcast. Still uh, trying to get my nerve up to get back to that because the new format is going to pretty much be just a, uh, it's going to be a study. You know, I a reason I started that podcast real quick is because I wanted to do like a book and I really don't spend a lot of time writing. I spend a lot of time talking. <laughs> Surprise. But anyway, so I figured why not do a podcast and make it into a whole book? And if people want to know about Romans, they can just refer to this podcast. And that way you can read while you drive because you're not going to read. You're going to listen. And if you want to take a road trip and learn Romans on steroids, then yeah. 
So I'm trying to get my nerve up to be like, you know what? I'm sitting down with the text. I'm going through. Here's how I'm thinking. Here's how I'm studying. So you can kind of see that. So once once I get my nerves up, I'm working on that. I'm making chuva. Uh, with the help of Hashem, I will continue that podcast. And then 5779, we closed out with a bang because we started the GT series. Oh my goodness. I've loved the Get Ula Talk series. I hope you have too. And it's been super awesome to just let it loose with, you know, Kabbalah and, and, uh, Gematria and, you know, Hasidus on just overload. So, May you be blessed. May Hashem inscribe each of us for life and may we merit life in the world to come and may we merit a good, sweet and prosperous, amazing year. And ultimately, may we experience and see the final Geula with our own eyes. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu Torah temet, vekaye olam natabetokeinu. Baruch atah Adonai, noten ha Torah. Amen. Lashana Tovah.